up, everybody? Welcome back to Debating Metal. I am your host, Kenneth Dean, Dean of Metal, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris K. Today, we're doing something a little different, a little more discussion-based, kind of in line with the name of the show. Today's topic is best band lineups. As music trends and egos come into play, almost every band goes through some lineup changes, some bands more than others. Sometimes changes work for the better, such as a new member bringing life into a band on the decline, or an old member returning at the right time, or even an experienced talent helping mature a fledgling band. Today, Kenneth and I have chosen eight bands to discuss which lineups we view to be their best. And after we're done with that, we'll give you our big four rainbow lineups. So sit back, relax, turn it up to 11, and let the debate begin. So Chris, this is pretty much what the show is supposed to be about a discussion a, an opinionated discussion about things that we talk about on a general basis and have a regular conversation on we always talk about stuff like this and today we i think more than any other show that we've done at 145 previous shows <laughs> this was probably the most exactly for the name that that it can be debating metal although Fair enough. I, you and I, like we always tell everyone, we don't look at our notes beforehand. We don't really share information back and forth. So you, some of your band lineups may be the same as my band lineup choices for your band and vice versa. And so the discussion may not be as uh, debated as possible, but some of the others, are, uh, I'm pretty positive, are going to be a nice debate. So, um with that said, why don't you go ahead and go first about which lineup you think is best for whichever band you choose first. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm going to choose uh, to go with death for my first band. Um, you know, I've, I've spoken about them in the past. They are one of my favorite bands of all time. Uh, it's an interesting one because there are no two lineups the same throughout their entire career as far as album releases. And uh, part of that is Chuck just liked to work with a lot of different musicians. There was some turmoil in the band, etc. You know, the typical things that uh, that bands go through. Um, so for my choice, I went with the individual thought patterns lineup of Chuck Schuldiner on lead vocals and guitars, Andy LaRock on guitars, um, Steve DiGiorgio on fretless bass and Gene Hoglan on drums. Um, the reason I picked this, even though it is a very short lineup, um, is mostly because this was the lineup that had both Steve DiGiorgio and Gene Hoglan in it. Um, and I, too, I like those two guys, I kind of think of as the definitive lineup along with Chuck. Uh, and, and there's multiple reasons for that. Um, Steve DiGiorgio was hanging around Chuck at the very beginning of Death's career. He helped jam on those early sessions, helped write some of the, 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 the bass parts, even though he's not credited. Um, you know, that, that was early on in their career, and he was in and out of the band for a long period of time. And unfortunately, because of his life going on and his ability to make money, uh, had to take other jobs, you know, had a kid, had, you know, things like that. Like, he was sometimes not available, even though he wrote s songs for different albums, he's not available to record. So this being the album that had him, not only him, but Gene Hoagland, who I think is such an amazing drummer, 
and somebody that that really like he he was also on symbolic which a lot of people think is their best album um you know those two guys being in this lineup i think kind of in my mind whenever somebody says death i think of those two guys along with chuck you know that he played with a lot of great musicians but i think for me you know and and no no slight to to andy the rock whatsoever i mean he added amazing solos in this album as well so um yeah like this to me is that definitive lineup okay so i disagree (laughs) no um look i am not the biggest death metal um, well i'm not the biggest death fan in the world um and I, i i will gladly admit that i never got into death um and at the time a lot of a lot of it had to do with the vocal style I have since gone back and listened to some stuff and I've, I've, I like what I hear in, in a variety of songs. Um, that being said, I chose symbolic. Um, and I, I chose symbolic because I, I, I went back in time and I looked at what we did on episode 51 for the, for the death metal, um, episode that we did. And our big four for that day was death, uh, the band deaths, their big four songs. And two of the four songs that I chose were from Symbolic. Um, there was Crystal Mountain that ended up being my my, my number one song, as well as um, uh, Symbolic, the song Sym- Symbolic itself. So that that right there told me that if I'm listening to this album and I and I like two of the songs, you know, on a, on an album that I'm not really super familiar with overall. Um, or I don't listen to on a regular basis whatsoever, that this should be the album for me. And I, and I went and listened to it and I'm like, you know, yeah, it is. <laughs> that's, that's what it is for me. And here's the funny thing about that. Um, if you uh, out there have the 2008 remastered version, it has um, four demo songs. Actually, it has five. Um, and on those five, songs or four four out of the five songs has steve DiGiorgio playing bass on it um although he ended up not recording the final product that that ended up coming out on the album symbolic yeah. has chuck on vocals and guitar it has a guy named bobby colble keeble keeble okay so bobby keeble on guitar kelly conlin on bass and then gene hoglin on drums so um you know gene and and chuck stable part of that lineup at, the, at that point. And Gene's just like, like you said, amazing drummer. Um, and, you know, and Bobby and Kelly on guitar and bass respectively. So the, I, I would think there's almost kind of like Steve DiGiorgio wrote those bass lines, I guess. He, he did. Yeah. He, right? he, was, so, he was involved with that, that pre-production. Right. And, and Kelly ended up just basically playing his, those bass lines on the and album. He's a great bass player. Don't get me wrong. Like I, if I was not to pick, the the uh individual thought patterns era like that that lineup this would be the one that i would pick so i I mean i think it's a fair choice no so i mean look individual thought patterns is one of the bigger albums from from death symbolic was one of the bigger albums from death i mean basically individual thought patterns um is basically what really i mean let me let me take it back human is what pushed them you know, into the spotlight. Yeah. Spotlight. I was going to say it's definitely not in the mainstream, but it put him in the spotlight. 
you know, and I think it was, each- it was the closest they got to the mainstream because they did appear on Beavis and Butthead because of uh, the uh, um, lack of comprehension. So, yes, that that happened, and so they 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 got into the stream of consciousness of of metal fans that were not necessarily into that kind of music, and each album after that progressively. I guess didn't sell as much, but they all sold something in the United States where before human, they didn't, you know, there was just basic, you know, underground type sales. And so they were, you know, individual thought patterns, very good album, symbolic, very good album, sound of perseverance, very good album. All those, I think progressively musically, they got better, even though in general, you know, you can't go by album sales, but uh, in, in album sales, they didn't. But I think, I think each album, you know, and let me not say better. They grew with every album. Yeah. Uh, no, I agree with that. I mean, uh, here's the thing. Like I, if, if looking back, you, you could, could get, um, Steve DiGiorgio to actually record on sound of perseverance, because again, he did, he did preliminary work, but he didn't actually record on the album instead of Scott Clinton. Now I, I never enjoyed, scott's bass playing because i thought it was a step down from the the previous guys um you know no offense to him and rest in peace um but i thought it was a step down because you're you have these great fretless bass players um you know establishing that kind of sound a lot of bands would would take that template like say obscura and and you know run with it after death was gone and I think had Steve DiGiorgio played on that album, that would possibly be the definitive lineup because Richard Christie, uh, you know, a lot of fans of um, uh, Howard Stern, Howard Stern would know Richard Christie, but they don't know he is a an amazingly skilled drummer. And um, yeah, so like that is also an option for that too. But still, I gotta go with my gut and go with you know. The, the the one that I chose the individual that thought patterns uh, lineup so a good choice as well I get that and you know like I said for my limited amount of time that I listened to death I had to go with symbolic Understood. all right so my turn now uh, and the band that I'm going to pick and the band I'm picking is Overkill now Overkill is still around today they have gone through a bajillion lineups and. The one lineup that I'm going to choose actually only played together on one album. Uh, so I did not go through the classic lineup that played in the eighties. Um, I went to the one that started out the nineties. Um, I went with the horoscope lineup, which included Bobby, uh, the blitz Ellsworth on lead vocals, Merrick Gant on lead guitar on guitars, Rob Cannon Canavino on guitars, Didi Verney on bass and Sid Falk on drums. Now, the reason I picked that album is because I think, uh, even for themselves, I think that album, as they like to put it, kind of put them, uh, that was, I think, their biggest selling album. Uh, it put them over the top for what they were at the time. Although, for me, Taking Over uh, was was probably their definitive album as far as who Overkill was in the 80s. But, and then they progressed, you know, with uh, Years of Decay and stuff like that. But it was definitely Horoscope. I remember when that album came out, I got a promo copy because I was working at the record store, and it was absolutely 100% an awesome album. Um, I literally had just started working at the store 
uh, no, I'm sorry. I started working in 1990. So I had been there a year. Um, that, that album, when that album came out and they did, um, coma and then they did a cover of Frankenstein halfway through the album. Edgar I Winter. love, excuse me, Edgar Winter. The, oh yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, the Edgar Winter band or Edgar Winter group, excuse me, uh, a cover of Frankenstein killer instrumental. And you know, the, the running joke when that album was, uh, being promoted by the record label was, Hey, you know, they would see Bobby in the halls of the, of the, of the record company. And they like, Bobby, you never sounded better. That's because it's an instrumental. So they would joke with him about his vocals. <laughs> um, so, you know, that lineup to me, the reason why I think it's their best lineup is because just, the, I think everything came together for them. Bobby Gustafson had left the band. He was the single guitar player. So he played all the rhythms. He played all the leads. And what ended up happening is when he left, it allowed Bobby and Didi to expand the band to a five piece, which they still are to this day and allow them to have a lead and rhythm guitar player. And, and the, the, the fuller sound. Yeah. It's fuller. The two of them traded solos. So there was, it was more and you know, for what it's worth more democratic, I guess you could say that way, but that has nothing to do with anything really. Um, yeah, but much fuller sound. There was just a lot going on, and they they stepped up the game on on that album. Now, unfortunately, I believe Sid Falk ended up leaving after that album tour, or he may have left in the middle of the tour. I can't remember exactly how it went down, uh, but he left, and then Tim Malera came on for the next two albums. So they had a stable lineup for the next two albums, uh, which were. Um, I hear black and WFO, but those albums were just a step down from horoscope. So, uh, that that's where, that's why I kind of like horoscope because there was just, it was so definitive and, and they went ahead and they did, uh, a, an anniversary live album in, uh, in Germany and released it. <clears throat> they did two, they did one show. I don't know if it was two shows or one show, but they played the original, um, feel the fire album in its entirety. And then they did horoscope in its entirety. So that tells you how much they think about that album. So. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I can see that one for sure. Um, but I went in a very different direction. Um, why? So, <laughs> so my definitive, uh, or my, my best lineup for overkill is the 2005 to 2017 lineup. Uh, but with Bobby, Bobby blitz on vocals, Dave Lintz on lead guitars, Derek Taylor on guitars, D.D. Uh, Verney on bass, and uh, Ron Lipnicki on drums. Uh, they put out five albums together, Immortalis, Iron Blood, Electric Age, White Devil Armory, and The Grinding Wheel. Um, most of my favorite songs from Overkill come from this era. I like that they have a harder edge. They kind of return to their thrash sound, kind of moving away from the groove, but still keeping the tone that they had from the groove era of the band. And, um, you know, just for me, like I saw them during this time period for the first time. Um, and that was when I started to, to kind of more take notice of them. Like you're obviously much more of an overkill fan than I am. Uh, but I've seen them, I think three times now. Um, and I mean, they sound even better to me, at least than they, they did when they were in their, you know, heyday. So I, I, I think they're, their harder edge really just 
brings that out for me. And some of the, the, the songs from this era, I just think are much better. I've seen overkill twice, 32 years apart, 1988. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and then the, the last show that you and I went to before the world shut down, uh, in 2020. Yeah. Um, that was the I, last concert that we went to before the pandemic started. Yeah. Right now I got I got to go with you on this one. I mean, I do like, I, I do like this lineup. I do like the fact that they stayed together for so long. Um, that would be my number two lineup. Um, and then behind that, the classic lineup would be my number three. Um, the, yeah, because this is like from really for me, it was from Ironbound on, I think Immortalis was good. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like, uh, a, a few songs off of it, but to me, Ironbound, it was almost like they found their, their, the, their, their magic potion for writing again. Cause even though Immortalis was only, uh, well, actually Immortalis was three, three years earlier from Ironbound. So I think when Ironbound came out, um, if you look at the pattern that they were going on, they, you know, they were they were coming out with an album every couple of years, but between Immortalis and Ironbound, it was three years. And then since yeah. that point, it was uh, almost every two years. And then, you know, they took another break there right after White Devil Armory. But um, they, they just, I think they found their songwriting groove. Ironbound was so much thrashier than Immortalis to me. I agree. Uh, Immortalis still had some of that groove element to it. Yeah. I and mean, they, had, they had that one track with uh, Randy Blythe. Uh, appearing on it um, was a skull and bones. And uh, so, you know, there's a little bit of, of difference between the sound, but yes, Ironbound, they, they kind of reestablished what their sound was. Electric age definitely carried it over. I think, I think white devil armory was even better. And I really like grinding wheel. I think that was a really good album. So this lineup, I mean, mostly stayed the same even after, I, I think it was just Ron Lipnicki that, that left. And they replaced him with um, uh, Jason Bittner at that point. Yeah. So it, and he's it, a fantastic. Got even better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know the the material though. I don't think. I mean, they've only put out two albums with that lineup, right? So it's you know only time will tell, and maybe that will be the definitive lineup. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, they're they're enjoying themselves. They did great. They just had a. a a a free opening gig for Metallica when Metallica played New Jersey uh, a few weeks back or a few months ago, I guess you could say now um, mm-hmm. at the, at the, I think it was the second show of the, um, or maybe it was the first show of the first U S show. I can't remember of the M 72 seasons uh, tour, but <clears throat> that takeover weekend for Metallica, they had parking lot gigs and um Overkill was one of the bands, and what was the name of the other band? I can't remember now. Holy crap! It was Prong. That's right. So <laughs> Prong. So so literally. So one. I think it was. Um, uh, so Metallica played Friday and Sunday. So I believe on s- Friday it was Overkill, and Prong was on Sunday, or vice versa. Obviously, it was vice versa. But they played the days that Metallica were um, were playing. They played live in the parking lot uh, in the middle of the afternoon. So pretty cool. All right. Of course, you know, all the comments were, you know, uh, <laughs> Overkill should be playing inside. You know, Metallica should throw a bone at those guys. It's long story. You know, you don't, 
it doesn't. I mean, work they should have brought Anvil, but you know, we'll, we'll talk Anvil? about that later. Anvil. Anvil. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. What, what you got next? Uh, so we're going to talk about Testament and um, my um, that uh, what I believe to be the best lineup for Testament would be the 2014 through 2022 lineup of Chuck Billy on vocals, uh, so Alex Skolnick on guitars, Eric Peterson on guitars, uh, Steve DiGiorgio on bass, and Gene Hoagland on drums. Now, what years did you say? 2014 to 2022. 2014 to 2022. Okay. All right. I got you. Yeah, that would be when... Steve DiGiorgio first joined Mm -hmm. to the time that Gene Hoagland left. Right. Okay. So they put out two albums during that time uh, from Brotherhood of the Snake and Titans of Creation, both of which I adore. I think those those, both of those albums are fantastic. Uh, What I like about them is that they've become even heavier as time has gone on. I think Chuck Billy's vocals have only gotten better with time. He's gotten heavier, more growly, you know, they've taken all the elements of all the different things they tried to do, you know, say with Demonic, which Steve DiGiorgio also appeared on. Um, I'm sorry, which Gene Hoagland also appeared on, uh, brought in that heavier drumming. Um, and then some of the stuff, they were a little bit more experimental in the, in the, the mid uh, part of their career. You know, they, they took all the good things and brought it in. And then they kept all the amazing things from their early formation uh, into this era of the band. I think to me, it's the heaviest era that they've ever had. Um, their rhythm section has never been better. No, no offense to anybody before, but you know these guys just have a synergy together, and they bring that that skill. Like I, it, it broke my heart when when Gene Hoagland said he was leaving, but I understand. I mean, he he. He's done several other projects since, including, you know, coming back to Death Clock, which I'm so happy about. So, um, you know, and then hearing their older material with this lineup is so much heavier even. So, like, I just, I really like this lineup. I wish it had continued longer, uh, but I'll take what we got. I I I enjoy this lineup a lot. Um, but unfortunately for me, that's not the lineup that really sticks with me uh and for for me it's more about the classic lineup and why i got into testament to begin with so i go all the way back to you know 1987 all the way through 1992 which uh is the classic lineup that includes chuck billy on vocals eric peterson on guitars alex skolnick on guitars greg christian on bass and louis clementi on drums that was the the lineup that put them on the map and they got better and better with each album then they got to the ritual they wanted to be a little bit more commercial and i i really think that was a record company pushing them to go that way i, I would say most you know likely, and yeah. then on top of that alex skolnick was starting to flake out and he wanted to do jazz so he ended up leaving the band and then they they, they the band tried to do a little bit of more groove oriented kind of bring in a little bit of grunge to their sound uh, and they released low. So that, that low is when Alex Skolnick had already left and they brought in um, James Murphy to play guitar and it was okay. I mean, low, I love the song low, um, but the album itself just wasn't, wasn't all that. 
but I do like the Brotherhood of the Snake and Titans of Creation lineup that you're talking about. Um, and you know, when Gene Hoglan left, they replaced him with Dave Lombardo, which was uh, a basically a reunion of the Gathering lineup. And well, except for James Murphy was was part of the Gathering, so there was the the Gathering. What do we call that? Uh, rhythm section, you know. So yeah. And, so it's it's all right, you know. I prefer the 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 whole Dave Lombardo thing. I I thought it was cool, but when you go from Gene Lombardo, uh, Gene Lombardo, from Gene Hoglin <laughs> to Dave Lombardo, um, and this is no this is no um, slight on Dave. Gene's just so far above almost everybody else, and right? It, you know, Dave is a different groove. I, I yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I would disagree with you. Like, I don't think Dave Lombardo is lesser of a drummer by any means, and I, that's probably not what you meant. But what I think Dave has is he has his own style, and mm-hmm, like, right. say for instance, like those those early Slayer albums, like Dave brings something to Slayer that nobody else has, and you just you know. No taken away from uh, what's his name. Uh, no taken away from Paul Bostoff, but oh, right. but Dave Lombardo is such an integral part of that early Slayer sound. Like you, you just can't deny it. Um, but yes, you you go from Gene, who is just this amazingly technically proficient drummer who just has speed beyond you know ninety nine percent of drummers, and then. <laughs> You you bring in Dave, who has more of like a a jazzy, um, you know, he has this. He's, he's got a groove to him. He's got he's a very exactly like it's it's such a weird step because like think about the things that they recorded with with Gene and the band. They're so fast. They're so technical. You know, they're they're heavy, and it just to me it was like, what are they doing? <laughs> Right, you know, and and like I said, it was no, it's no slight to Dave because obviously Dave can can do the material. It's oh, very sure. it, it, very different, and it's funny because I remember when 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 they were recording Brotherhood of the Snake, um, they said, you know, Gene said to to, to Chuck, he said, "Look, what do you want me to play? Because if I play the way I play, then the guy who comes in after me, if it, if that ever comes down to it, is not going to be able to play it." Mm-hmm. And and Chuck and Chuck and and Eric told him, you play you you do what you do and we'll worry about that later on you know and so that's what makes those albums so good I and mean, his drumming is uh, on on dark roots of the earth brotherhood of snake and titans of creation just outstanding you know for sure and and i you know d- for me personally dark roots of the earth is probably my favorite testament album uh, out of them all but uh you know, and brother, you know, I was listening to Brotherhood of the Snake the other day, and that's such a good album as well. Um, the whole thing is that you know he left, and then Dave comes in. Now, mind you, Dave only ended up doing the tour, um, and they now have another dude in the band, Christovis. Yeah, Christovis, who is young kid, right? But he's probably got the same kind of energy that Gene Hoglan has, right? And he has he has the technical proficiency, and he just wants to be the best drummer out there so i I think um they didn't lose anything i think they they get another a a newer energy because he is younger they just get this 
this energy that's probably going to push them over the top as far as their songwriting is concerned. Yeah. Uh, I can't wait to see album. where they go. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, all right. So, yeah. so who do you got next? All right. So next for me is going to be wasp. Um, wasp as everybody knows is still around today. Um, another band that has been through the early eighties all the way until now. And for the most part, I guess the, uh, maybe the last 20 years of their career has mostly been focused on Europe. Uh, they don't do a lot of stuff in the United States. Um, they did just recently do a 40th anniversary tour in the U S it was, it was a phenomenal success for the band for Blackie. Um, and it was an underground grassroots reason why that tour ended up being successful and being able to happen. You know, it was like almost like a challenge, you know, Blackie put it out there. Hey, for all the fans in the United States, they telling me that we can't sell out venues. And all of a sudden, you know, Blackie said, if, if the, uh, if the promoters have put it together, you know, you guys need to come and they came. I mean, they played, you know, they weren't big venues. They were small clubs, but regardless, you, it, it was packed and the shows were great. You and I went to it last year. Last yeah, it was year. phenomenal. It was yeah. awesome. Really you enjoyed know. it. It's unfortunate that Blackie's hurt his back right now and had to cancel the second part of the North American tour after they came back from Europe. So, but anyway, um, my best, what I think is their best lineup. Now they're another band who never had the same lineup twice until more of the recent albums, but in, in their heyday, um, they had different lineup changes on just about every album. So their second album, the last command to me is their definitive lineup. Um, and that includes Blackie Lawless on lead vocals and bass, Chris Holmes on guitars, Randy Piper on guitars and Steven Riley on drums. Steven Riley, our favorite drummer from LA Guns. <laughs> um, that I mean, you can't take away. He's a good drummer. Okay, he's, he's serviceable. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, he, he's a he, hey. Look, he wouldn't be there this long. He's a, he's a songwriter. He's a drummer. He's been around for a long time. So no, he's a good drummer. I'll put it that way. Um, he's no Gene Hogland though. <laughs> um Fair. but they they put together the last command so the, the the big lineup change from there was getting Stephen riley um when they let go of tony richards from the first album and what's curious about this is that lee the blackie lawless is actually a guitar player and he's a guitar player now they have bass players in the band now and the next album inside the electric circus they you know um randy piper left and so Blackie, Blackie took over rhythm guitars and they brought in Johnny Rod on, on bass. That was my number two choice because I was pretty close with that because I loved that album as well. But The Last Command, um, I just remember listening to that album when it came out over and over and over again. I, it's not better than the first one, but it's so different because it's so well produced or you know, and then the next one is more polished, but this one is well produced. Um, I just thought that this was really for me that their definitive lineup, you know, because Randy Piper's still on there and playing rhythm guitars, and Chris Holmes is, is, is just ripping it and shredding it on that album. Um, and Blackie's doing Blackie, so 
I thought I thought this was a very good album. Um, it has my favorite song from Wasp, which is uh, the uh, Wild Child. So I had to give it that. Okay. Well, um, this would be the first one that we actually matched up on. Ooh, uh, look at that. So the reason being is my favorite Wasp album is the original by far. Um, that being said, my number two Wasp album is Last Command. Um, but the thing about the first album and knowing more about the band, having watched you know documentaries and interviews and stuff like that, um, Blackie never felt like Tony Richards was the right drummer. Um, he was very critical of him. He, um, you know, made him re-record and re-record and re-record things. Um, you know, they would edit a lot of the stuff he did. So, you know, knowing that and knowing that like when Steve Riley came into the band, he didn't have to do that kind of stuff. You know, he felt more comfortable with him as the drummer. And that was, you know, a longer period of time. It was from 84 to, 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 to 86. And so having that, you know, knowing that, or that, you know, and, and Steve Riley stayed on till 87, even too. So like, other than changing, you know, Johnny Rod and, and Randy Piper at that point. But um, I think what's interesting to me is that like having that level of comfort, having the ability to, um, you know, function more um effectively i think is what makes that particular lineup even better um also steve riley is 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 a good drummer you know he he, you know drama with with uh la guns aside like i when i think of steve riley i tend to think of him as a wasp drummer so um i think you know, for me, like I really thought about it and I was, I almost went with the original album just because, or the original album lineup, just because I like that album better. But then I thought like, you know, from a standpoint of how the band functioned and what they achieved after, I think it was a better choice. I mean, I can see that point. I mean, Tony Richards, you know, I know there was a lot of stuff you know, that went on, you know, that went down with him. And, and Chris Holmes to this day says that if it, Tony, the, the, Tony Richards leaving the band was the sign that Blackie Lawless was taking over. Um, yes, that's true. And, and you know what? I don't buy it. I think from the beginning, this has always been Blackie's project, you know, and it's always, you know, when you, when you put a band together, I don't think this one didn't come together organically like a lot of young bands come together. I mean, Blackie Lawless was already an experienced uh, veteran of the music business. Uh, he had played, you know, he was in and out of the New York Dolls in a flash. Uh, he knew, you know, he was uh, associated with Kiss at some point. And, you know, it's one of those weird things. So when he moved to L.A. and then he, he hooked up with – um, Nikki six. And so he wasn't a fresh young face. He wasn't this, you know, he wasn't an Eddie Van Halen. He wasn't a, a Randy Rhodes starting in the scene. He already been there, done that kind of thing, Yeah, but he wanted his, his fame and fortune. He wanted his piece of the pie too. And so I think that Wasp was his baby. And it's always been his baby. And 
since it wasn't as organic as, as Chris Holmes would like to make it seem, um, it was always going to be the Blackie show. And, and when it finally came down to it, that's what it's been. So, you yep. know, and Tony, Tony was the first piece of the puzzle to fall, you know, so it is what it is. I mean, I, I like, uh, the, I like Stephen Riley the albums that he's on. Um, like I said, I love last command. I love inside electric circus. Um, you know, I absolutely adore the first album, you know, and that Steven's not on there, but you know, those are the three defining wasp albums for me. And Steven Riley's happens to be on two of them, you know? So like I said, it, like you and I agree, the last command is their definitive album or definitive lineup. Yeah. So, um, you're up next with what? Uh, my next band is going to be Megadeth. Megadeth. Um, oh, this is going to be a good one. <laughs> so, for me, it, it was, I had to think about it because there are two lineups that I would consider, you know, kind of my favorites. Um, but I really thought about it and, sorry, there's a factor of this one that puts them over the edge. And that would be the 1990 to 1998 lineup of Dave Mustaine on lead vocals and guitars, Marty Friedman on guitars, Dave Ellefson on bass, and Nick Menza on drums. Uh, they put out Rust and Peace, Countdown to Extinction, Euthanasia. Uh, they did the Hidden Treasures uh, compilation, which featured those four members as well. And uh, Cryptic Writings was the last of this lineup. Um, so one big factor is countdown to extinction. This was number two on the U S billboard 200. That was a huge fat, uh, you know, a win for Megadeth. Um, the, they had three platinum albums during this time with rest in peace, euthanasia, and, uh, obviously countdown to extinction. And this would really be Megadeth's boom period, you know, the, the, the largest mainstream appeal they ever achieved. Um, this was also their longest-lasting lineup. Now, that may change in the next few years. We'll see. Uh, we don't know what's going to go on with Kiko, if, you know, he's just taking some time off, etc. But we'll see. Um, but we, I think a lot of people, when they think of Megadeth, you know, would associate obviously Dave Ellison, but also Marty Friedman. You know, he had that much of an impact. He was such an amazing guitarist. His work on really all of these albums, but specifically Rest in Peace for me, um, just really puts things over the over the top. You know, like he he is such a, a great member of that band. I'm so glad they've done these these shows and, and it, you can watch them online where he appeared and played with them as well. Um and then obviously Nick Menza, rest in peace, great drummer, um, fit the band perfectly at that time. This was really when they came into their own. I, I obviously, um, you know, those those early years, especially with uh, Peace Sells, but who's buying? That's that's my second favorite Megadeth album. Um, that was a great lineup as well, uh, with Gar Samuelson and. Um, Chris oh, and Chris Poland. Um, but this to me is just that definitive lineup. Like they had the most success during that time. Um, you know, uh, some of the best players they ever played with. And it just, uh, I, I couldn't choose anything otherwise. 
<laughs> well, in, in this particular case, I have to agree with you. Um, I chose the same lineup. I chose it for the pretty much the same reasons. I mean, it, it was as, as it was the defining lineup in their career. Um, today's lineup uh, is, I think, finally, Dave is satisfied with the guitar player he has. But I, you know, I mentioned this to you a couple weeks ago. Now that they've uh, Kiko's had to step aside for family reasons, and this guy Timo has has uh, come into the band. Man, you know, I have a feeling that something's going to happen with Kiko, and he's going to be out. That's just my gut, but I hope not because I really think that Kiko is is the best fit for the band, um, in in long term and you know and short term. But uh, I, I this. I don't know, man. When when Dave starts heaping praise, the guy before him always goes down the tubes, and I just I don't know. We'll see. I, we'll see. You know. So I, I hope not, because I really believe that that Kiko's place is should be in Megadeth. Um, uh, he uh, he fits and complements Dave so well um, that that's part of the reason why I hope it, there is no change. Um, I think Dirk as a drummer um, fits absolutely great. Uh, he, um, when he took over for Chris Adler, I, I had hoped that Chris Adler would have stayed in Megadeth. And, and I think Dave originally ho- had hoped, but when you bring in a guy like Dirk, it's, it's kind of like, yeah, you know, this guy's pretty damn good too. So it, so many lineup changes for, for Megadeth, but it was really nice to see, you know, after kind of kind of almost growing up with Megadeth because I mean, I picked up on Megadeth after uh, or during peace cells and um, knowing, you know, like for me, you know, there was the peace cells lineup. Then the, the, the lineup changed for so far, so good. So what? And then the lineup changed again. I'm like saying, what, what's, are they rainbow? You know, what's going on here? Um, and to see that with rust and peace and countdown and euthanasia, that they stuck it together and and they were able to to write really classic music. That was that was something that, that like I didn't like seeing bands change members all the time. I thought that was weird. You know, I didn't think that's that's the way it was supposed to go. See, so, I had I had such a different perspective because like I grew up and I you know after you right like I I came about during um, you know I was born in eighty six so. When I was born, you know, for me, Metallica was, was Jason Newstead, right? Like, you know, it wasn't long after I, it might've even been before I was born when Cliff died. Um, but so your birthday's when August. So he died a month after you. Yeah. So, you know, that's all I ever knew, but I go back and I read these, these, uh, inserts from the albums, and I go like, "Who's who's this guy Mustaine?" You know, and that's how I figured out Megadeth. And you know, um, I remember being a, a a kid and listening to the Eagles, and my my parents would talk about you know the the Eagles and you know uh, their lineup at the time. And then I'd go back and I'd be like, "Well, who's this guy Randy Meisner? And who's this guy Tim? Uh, or, I mean, uh, um, Bernie Leadon." You know, like I, I didn't know these things. Like, so for me, I, I just always had this, this interest in how bands would change and, 
you know, these lineup changes. Like, and, and that's kind of what spurred on this episode where it just, you know, sometimes I just think about that. Like, it's very interesting. It's always been something that, like, when I look at the Black Sabbath lineup and how many changes they had, like, it was always just something that really interested me. So, you know, I had a little bit of a different perspective. Like, I don't like it when they change, you know, but at the same time, I'm fascinated by it. <laughs> it and it's weird because, like, you know, I, I went through the Iron Maiden changes, you mm-hmm. know, which we're going to, we're going to, uh, maybe get to in a little bit. Um, I went through the Kiss changes. You know, Kiss. At, at, I grew up with Kiss, my favorite band, for a long period of time, and I've known them. You know, and we and we'll talk about them in a little bit as well. I went through, uh, you know, not well. I went. I mean, I was a Twisted Sister fan, and they changed drummers, and I was, you know. Uh, an Ozzy fan and uh, Ozzy, you know, had to change guitar players. And then, you know, all of a sudden, you know, bass player in bass player out, you know, drummer in drum out is, it was just one of these things to me for when it comes to your favorite band, it's almost disheartening. Oh, for you sure. Know, yeah. You know, like I, I remember I was working at an IT, uh, not an IT company. I was working for in IT for a telecommunications company. And I remember the day that Jason Newstead quit Metallica. And I'm like, what the fuck? I mean, at that point, I said to myself, is the band going to be able to continue? You know, because I thought Jason was 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 Metallica. And not, obviously, James and Lars are Metallica. But I just thought that he was the kind of the glue that held it together because he was so metal compared to the rest of them at that point. You know, they had gone through their alternative phase, if you want to look at it that way. But Jason never strayed, you know, as much as he was in the band and he recorded the albums in concert, he never strayed. He was just so, so much energy. And I was just devastated. I was kind of like, what the hell's going on with my favorite band? You know, Kiss changing guitar players all the time. It was one of those weird things. And so um, all those things happening. You know, even like in Pearl Jam, I was a big Pearl Jam fan, and they changed drummers. And I'm like, really? And then they got Jack Irons, and I'm like, the guy from Red Hot Chili Peppers? And then and then when they got Jack Irons, they, they changed their whole sound changed. And I'm like, I don't like this shit, you know? <laughs> so, it, and, you know, and then Megadeth changing all the time. I was like, come on, man. But I get it. You know, there's, there's is a fascination, but I, 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 and I like it. When you have to go back and look at it, sort of like with Rainbow, which we're going to talk about later, you go back and you see the lineup changes and you hear the albums and you say, okay, but when you're in the middle of it, it's disheartening because you're in the middle of it. You've, you've grown to like those four or five guys that are in the band. And, yeah. Well, you know, it's like it's like a TV show, right? Like uh, when you see the cast changes. And I remember being a kid and watching – you know, it's weird. Most kids watch the cartoons and stuff, and I did. Don't get me wrong, but I, I would watch a lot of Law and & Order. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so they would play replays, and there would be, like, different people on sometimes, right? And I did, it, like, as a little kid, you know, five, six years old, you don't necessarily grasp the concept of, you know, different seasons and stuff like that, like, at least initially. And so I remember like seeing different people, like different detectives and different, 
uh, uh, lawyers on the show and stuff like that. And being like, what, why is it different people? You know? And that was the same with music. I would, I'd be like, what, you know, what happened? Why, why did these things happen? Like, why, why did they change? And I was always so, just so fascinated with that. I just, you know, and then you learn it's, oh, it's egos or, you know, somebody got fired for drug use or something like that. And it's just, it's just interesting. Yeah. I mean, it is. I've, I've, I've always thought that way too, you know, but it, when you're in the middle of it, it's kind of rough. Oh you know, yeah. Like yeah, you're losing sure. a family member, you know, um, not in that regards, but not in death, but you know, you're, you're losing a best friend kind of thing. Uh, and then, you know, but if, when you go back and you say, Oh, look, rainbow had 10 different lineups for 10 different albums, you know, then you say that, Oh, okay. And, and it's interesting to read about, you know, and why that happened. So, all right, where are we moving on to? Uh, you did Megadeth, so it's my turn, right? Yes, so sir. I'm going to talk about Anthrax. And Anthrax. Again, another band that is still around today, started in the, in the early, mid-'80s. Um, for me, the, the, the lineup that I would consider the best – lineup for anthrax is the lineup that goes from 1984 to 1992 which is the classic lineup of joey belladonna on lead vocals scott ian on rhythm guitars danny spitz on lead guitars frank bellow on bass and charlie benante at drums um they recorded four albums together spreading the disease among the living state of euphoria persistence of time as well as a couple different eps especially the armed and dangerous ep which um i really really like that version of armed and dangerous which i heard is supposed to be the same version is the same recording but remixed i'm like that's a completely different remix i mean it sounds completely different and to sit there and say oh that's the same the same version just remix i don't know but that's a hell of a remix if it is um i think that i mean that established a band and to me, there's a reason why Joey's singing today. They they came back um, to Joey. But, you know, we've gone through the differences between Joey and John and why John's not here and, and, and all that stuff. And I think if John never leaves or if, if they never do the reunion, I think John is still playing in Anthrax and he's going back and forth between Anthrax and Armored Saint. Um, and Joey would be out but that's my opinion i that's what i think but um but history is is what it is and and john's not there anymore i think it, it goes back to it had to be joey um and it had to be this this for me it had to be this uh this period of time and this this lineup as being the best lineup for anthrax okay okay well so mine is a little different uh, mine is going to be um, the lineup of Dan Nelson, Scotty, and no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so <laughs> you had me going there. <laughs> uh, so no, I actually picked the same lineup as you. Um, so uh, my personal favorite Anthrax album is is um, Sound of uh, Sound of White Noise. Um, the the reason why I don't think that lineup is going to be the best. Well, first of all, they only did one album, but 
uh, even the stuff that came after, right, with uh, Paul Crook on on lead guitar, um, you know, they really did not have support from their record label. And that started with Sound of White Noise, with their, their misleading them on the way they should have released their singles, uh, other things like that, then having to move over to different uh, record labels, having issues with those record labels, you know, being dropped or them going out of business or whatever happened. And they never got the chance to get their feet under them. Whereas the original, not the original, but the classic lineup of Joey Belladonna on vocals with with the other, you know, uh, with, let's say, you know, Scotty and Dan Spitz, Frank Bello and, and Charlie Benante. Um, obviously, they had the most success, and that's basically the lineup today, minus Dan Spitz, uh, you know, and, and that's the reason they're able to perse- persevere, like you said. Like, they basically reunited to the classic lineup, um and still put on shows and they're still mostly playing stuff off of among the living yeah so you know it's they have they had three gold records during that time which is the again the most success they ever had um and i would say their biggest hits come from this era you know like just it being one album um that really is super strong again with sound of white noise does not push that era over them, you know, the the massive massive success they had from 1984 to 1992. So, as much as I would love to pick, you know, the 92 to 95 era, um it, it just made more sense to go with this one for me. You know, I think if if uh, Anthrax were actually to do uh an accounting of all their old record sales, I think that spreading disease would go gold. Um, and I think among the living would be platinum because I can't, I can't understand how it's not. Yeah. I mean, it's, it you seems know? odd to me. I mean, I can, yeah. I can understand why state of euphoria and persistence are, are gold. Um, but I can't see how among the living is not platinum, but it, it, it's a process and, and you have to pay for it. And I, I believe they're just not willing to go through that, <laughs> um, which is fine. You know, but when you look at, like, I'm looking at the record sales for, for worship music, and when you look at that, and it's sold 110,000 copies at the time in, in 2011, that's a lot. That was a huge album comeback for them, you know, with the reunion. Yeah. With bringing it's a really Joey. good album. Yeah. Oh, it's an awesome album. It's an awesome album. I mean, and I, I, I like what they've been doing. I'm, I'm sad that they weren't able to keep um, a Rob you know, uh, Caggiano in the band, but John Denai is, is fit so well. And he's been such a good addition to the, to the, to the sound of anthrax that, um, it was almost seamless, you know, and yeah. I'm, I'm glad he's still in it. And, and, you know, Hey, it's a paying gig. I mean, I don't think the guy's going anywhere <laughs> considering shadows fall is only playing, you know, one or two reunion shows a year. So, um, it's got a, it's a good gig for him and it's a good paying gig. I'm pretty sure. So, all right. Uh, what do you got next? So the last one that I'm going to go over today is Iron Maiden. And I am picking their 1982 to 1990 lineup of Bruce Dickinson on vocals, Dave Murray and Adrian Smith on guitars, 
Steve Harris on bass, and Nico McBrain on drums. Now, as I've said on previous episodes, my favorite drummer is Clive Burr. Um, they only put out one album, and I think it's both of our favorite album. Um, but you can't deny the success they had with this lineup. They put out Peace of Mind, Power Slave, Somewhere in Time, and Seventh Son of Seventh Son. Um, that's three platinum albums. Uh, this would be what you would consider their big stadium tour uh, uh, lineup. This lineup basically still, still plays today when they reunited in 1999 with the addition of Yannick Gers. Um, now, he was in the band at the time. They technically reunited with Bruce and Adrian Smith. Um, but this is basically the classic lineup with an addition of one. Um, Peace of Mind is a massive album. You know, The Trooper, I think most people know, even if you're not a big fan of, of, of uh, Iron Maiden. Um, Power Slave, to me, is one of my favorite albums from the band. Somewhere in Time is one of those that crisscrosses for my favorite album as well. And The Seventh Son of the Seventh Son, to me, is is like the end of an era because not only is it was it the last album that featured adrian smith um the, the two albums that followed and then obviously the blaze era um were were stepped down you know multiple steps down and um seventh son still carried over that that spirit and the, that quality that they had so even though number of the beast is my favorite album from the band and i do think it stands out and i think I wish I, I wish there was an alternate history where Clive Burr had stayed in the band. I think he was a phenomenal drummer, brought something really interesting to the, the table. And that's no slight to Nico because he is also a phenomenal drummer. I love his attitude. Um, I love not understanding a word he says. And um, he's <laughs> hilarious. Um, but I just there's just something about that that magic that's on uh, Number of the Beast to me that that makes it the best but this era with with nico is just that much more impactful you know i i i had a yeah obviously we have lots of options with the band lineups of iron maiden and you know so many people sit there and say oh well if if it's not if it doesn't have paul deano in it i'm not gonna listen to it and and like you obviously haven't listened to iron maiden in you know 41 years but I have to agree with you in, in this particular case, Iron Maiden, that classic lineup from Peace of Mind all the way through Seventh Son, there's no denying that that is the definitive classic lineup of that band. Thankfully, they're still together today, and they, add, they added Yannick uh, as, you know, because we already had a full sound, we're going to have a fuller sound, <laughs> um, you know, Uh so, you know, and, and I, I just saw like, like Steve Harris is just, I always wished we had three, three guitar players. And I'm sitting there thinking, why, you know, one plays rhythm, one plays lead, you know, so now you got two rhythms and then, you know, you throw in Steve who doesn't play your typical bass. And that's, that's literally like four rhythms going on at one time. I mean, I can understand, like, I know you say you can hear all the different complex things you know with with um brave new world that it's almost kind of annoying to you yeah i i think it's too much i think three <laughs> guitarists is too much and i yeah, i hate to say that 
I like all three guys, and but I, you know, if if it were my personal choice, I would condense it down to two guitars. Um, but that being said, I'm more than happy with what they're doing because they love it. They love playing together. There's nothing but good vibes, and I'm happy with that. So right, yeah, and and you know, look, it's it's the same lineup, just added another guitar player. I mean, I was real close to picking the number of the Beast lineup with Clive Burr. Um, there's there's something about his playing um, that is just so outstanding. Everyone talks about. It. I mean, Metallica's last two albums, you know, uh, Lars has said, you know that he chooses his fills based on Clive's style. Uh, and you could hear it all over Hardwired. You, it, he's expanded it a little bit more on the, on 72 seasons, but you can tell that Hardwired, he was really going out of his way to be like Clive in that Clive did a lot of fills with the snare drum. Uh, didn't do a lot of Tom work. Um, I mean, he did obviously on like run to the Hills, but he, he didn't do a lot of Tom work overall. And that, that's, uh, that's what Lars was trying to replicate in, in, uh, hardwired to self-destruct. Um, but I almost chose it just because of Clive's drumming, but I had to go with Nico because of the fact that it was him who solidified the lineup when he came on board you know, it was, it was that those three or those four albums in a row. I mean, you can't get more classic than that. I mean, they didn't let up and even, you know, when, although no prayer for the dying, you know, there was a slight regress. It was still, uh, a very good album, some pretty shitty songs on it, but still a <laughs> very good album. I'm like, like you get decent songs and you get bad songs so fear of the dark is the same way um but it, it wasn't like horrible like oh i gotta throw this out this is the worst iron maiden shit ever it wasn't that bad you know it was just different because they almost kind of went back to their old sound it was not a lot of the keyboards not a lot of the synthy sound they kind of stripped it back out but um that the peace of mind power slave somewhere in time seventh son classic lineup that you cannot deny with iron maiden Agreed. Okay, so that brings us to our last band that we're going to talk about tonight, and that is Kiss. Um, so this one is tricky for me because I I could have gone the Chris Jericho route, which is the 80s, but even in the 80s, is which 80s are we talking? Which 80s lineup are we talking about? There is a definitive 80s lineup, um, <clears throat> which is the from 84 and a half on to up to 1991 or um you know there's also the creatures of the night which is you know pick your guitar player <laughs> but the rest of the band's the same or you know you can go with the classic lineup that that basically made kiss who they are and i went with the classic lineup that made kiss who they are um i was very surprised at me choosing that only because I've been kind of harsh with my criticism of Peter Chris, but there's no denying that those four guys have a chemistry. That chemistry worked until one or two of the guys thought they were bigger than the band. 
And to this day, they have proven that they are not. So the lineup of Paul Stanley on vocals and rhythm guitar, Gene Simmons on bass, vocals and bass guitar, Ace Freely on vocals and lead guitar, and Peter Chris on vocals and drums, to me is their definitive lineup, their best lineup. What they have now is probably their most skilled lineup. Um, what they had in the 80s was probably one of their most skilled lineups, but this is the lineup that had the magic, and there's a big difference. You can, you can have talent up the wazoo, Mark St. John, but if it doesn't come across, it doesn't have any soul behind it, you don't have much. And that was part of Mark St. John's problem. He didn't really have good touch. He didn't have a soul behind his, his guitar solos. It was just a million, a million notes fast, you know, him and Vinny million notes, no real depth. I think Vinny had a lot more soul. Oh, he had more. He had, he had much more than Mark St. John, but he's also one of these guys that just had, a you know, it's always been about a million notes and and not about the song and that's that's which is weird because Vinny wrote really good songs for kiss he did couldn't do it for himself i think he was broken after kiss so like that's a whole another subject for another day <laughs> um but uh, i mean i think it really did i think it, it broke him a, a lot of the things that followed obviously did too you know in his personal life but uh um, right but yeah i mean i i think when you talk about Vinnie Vincent and Mark St. John, that's two different categories almost because I mean, Mark had issues with the other members of the band, um, never played anything the same way twice. And that just didn't fit the, the, I mean the, the cookie cutter aspect of what they were like Gene and, and Paul were all about. So, I mean, completely different things, but I, but I, I, I will agree. Like, you know, for me, that I picked the same lineup, you know, I, it, there, there's, you know, hit album after hit album. Um, definitely their most platinum albums, uh, most influential version of the band. Like how many people dress up as kiss, you know, out there, they're part of the kiss army, you know, they, they, they don't have, uh, kiss coffins that just have the, the mass or the un, unpainted era of the band. Um, imagine, imagine that I'm going to go get buried with Vinnie Vincent's face on my, or, or, you know, like check out my Bruce Kulik coffin, you know, like <laughs> it doesn't happen, you know, cause they're not the characters, right? Like they did the movie during uh, the, the kiss versus the phantom of the park or not versus <laughs> what's it called? Uh, kiss, kiss meets the phantom of the kiss park. meets the phantom, uh, turned it into a Godzilla movie. Um, but, uh, <laughs> Yeah, they, I mean, this, this was the biggest thing, right? And the band now currently mirrors what they were doing then. They're wearing the makeup, they're playing the characters, and they wouldn't have the success that they have now had they not done that, like gone back to wearing the makeup. So, like, the, Kiss, like when people think of Kiss, like if you're not the biggest fan, there are people, I guarantee you there are people that still think it's Ace and, and Peter on stage. Well, you the know? thing about that is it's... I don't know if they think it's Ace and Peter, 
but they know it's the Catman and the Space Ace. That, that's well, what I mean. Like they they don't even probably know the names of everybody. No, like, I mean the, the yeah. general fan doesn't know shit. They just know that there's a guy up there wearing a bunch of silver, and there's a guy up there that looks like a cat. You know, and and they don't care as long as it sounds good. Yeah. You know, I I almost I almost chose the lineup with Eric Carr and Bruce Kulick that basically wrote uh, Asylum. Uh, was it um crazy nights crazy nights and then um uh hot in the shade i almost did that lineup because to me that was a definitive lineup i mean bruce kulik came on during the tour for um animalize so he didn't play on the album but he was on that tour so he's been with the band since at that point it was from 84 to 1990 well bruce was there till 95 um you know and then they just changed from one eric to another eric and he left in 96 actually Oh, the 96. I didn't know what year they, they, they ended, um, that part of the, uh, cause I know they did the reunion. Um, in 96, yeah. they did, did the unmasked, not unmasked, the unplugged in 95. Yes. So I didn't, I didn't know if it was the end of 95 or beginning of 96 when they finally decided to reunite it. So I almost put, picked that version of the band. Cause I think, you know, that's the, like I said, that's the, the, the Chris Jericho version. That he, that's what he grew up on. Um, and that was a really fruitful time period for kiss. Although they were, uh, kind of like a half a step behind with the whole hair metal thing, you know, that happened in the, in the eighties, they still, at least they were able to reestablish themselves and they actually put out some good songs. Um, and, and that's with the help of the fact, you know, that, that, that you know, uh, Bruce was very, he was a very good, at, he was he, he was very good at putting together very tasteful solos and i think that's what helps him become such a good guitar player for kiss because he he understood what paul and gene wanted and he executed it with extreme precision and yet was still had a ton of soul behind it and that's what i liked about bruce he could play he could play just like mark he could play just like vinnie but he didn't have to and he didn't yeah but nothing, you know, nothing beats the original lineup. Ace Frehley. I mean, he puts together some very good, rem- or rem- he puts together some very good, memorable solos. Okay. Peter it Chris. Influenced a lot of people. How many guitarists out there go, you know, I play guitar because of Ace Frehley. Yeah. I mean, I mean Dimebag, yeah. Daryl, Scott Ian, you know, so many big, big names. Um, out there who, who play because of Ace Frehley. I mean, you know, it, it, it's a it's a lesser influence, but Kirk Hammett was influenced by Ace Frehley, you know. So I, I had to go with that lineup for that reason. You know, look look at the albums. Kiss, Hotter Than Hell, Dress to Kill, Destroyer, Rock and Roll Over, Love Gun. Even though there was some hints and cracks in the walls and Ace didn't play all of the, the stuff and Gene didn't play all his bass and, you know, um, Peter didn't play drums on, on dynasty except for two song or one song, you know, didn't play at all on unmasked. It's still, you know, when you look at it, still it still says, the band, yeah. right. It still says Peter ace, Paul and Gene. So, and, and even psycho circus, right? Like, you know, they didn't, they didn't play on all of it, but the, I mean, if you're including this, this lineup of the band, it's 1973 to 1980 and then 96 to, to 2001. I mean, essentially, I right. mean, they had a reunion with that same lineup. So technically it's, 
it's part of the same lineup. Correct. Correct. So, you know, as, as, as funny as it is, you know, when you and I don't check our notes, we end up having a lot of crossover. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, th- I think we had about 50% crossover and 50% disagreement. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting, but I think that shows some of these bands, like their, their impact in a certain era is pretty definitive. Like, it, it, yeah, it's hard to deny that the, the biggest impact that Kiss would have would be their, their original era. Whereas I think other bands, it, it, it's easier to kind of disagree on. So, absolutely correct. All right. Um, we're up to the big four. And so we're going to continue on the topic of, of best lineups. We're choosing tonight's big four of rainbow lineups so rainbow another band that did not have the same lineup record one album or record consecutive albums every single album had a different lineup and that was mostly due to richie blackmore's ego as well as richie blackmore's uh uh what's the word i'm trying to get his pursuit of perfection in that regards, he always wanted to be better and always felt that he can get another guy who is better. So, um, let's see, I think you went first last time, so I'm going to go ahead and go first this time. Okay. All right. So for me, my number four best rainbow lineup is going to be the ever growing, ever more popular rainbow rising lineup, which included Ronnie James Dio, on vocals, Richie Blackmore on guitar, Jimmy Bain on bass, uh, Tony Carey on keyboards, and Cozy Powell on drums. Um, you know, every uh, most people in the rock scene know who Cozy Powell is. Um, everyone knows that Dio and Jimmy Bain were in the band Dio, and obviously everybody knows Richie Blackmore from Rainbow and Deep Purple. Tony carries the uh, is the odd man out in in terms of fame, but I'm I'm very familiar with Tony and and some of the solo work that he did. Uh, he had a nice hit single on MTV called "Fine Fine Day." I really enjoy that song. Um, that was uh, and I say ever growing popular lineup because there's a lot of people going back and listening to early Rainbow and realizing how good the early stuff was, and 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 just absolutely enjoying the early Dio stuff on rainbow and, and not realizing that there was that much early. So, I mean, those three albums were pretty, pretty good. So, um, that's why I said that was, it was ever, uh, ever growing in popularity. Number three for me is the difficult, excuse me. Number three for me is the down to earth lineup that includes Graham Bonnet on vocals, Richie Blackmore on guitars, Roger Glover on bass, Don Airy on keyboards, and Cozy Powell on drums. Um, that's pretty much between that and uh, uh, another album I'm going to talk about in a few. Um, that was the first I heard of Rainbow. That was the first time I saw what Rainbow was like. And Yes, I, I I saw Rainbow and I see this video of, of um uh what's that song that they had uh Jesus Christ since you've been gone no all night long you know I since I saw the video for all night long and I see this guy with short hair and a skinny tie he looks very eighties even though the album came out in in the seventies and then or 
was it 70 or 79? You know, and then you see um, Jolyn Turner, you know, he's, it's a different singer. And I'm like, what's going on here? Same band, but uh, it was, it was uh, just a different album. And I love that album. Down to Earth is a very good album. It just did not do what Richie wanted it to do. And that was commercial crossover appeal, even though they tried the, with the song since you've begun and they had a hit, but it didn't really push them over the top. Um, the next album, number two for me is difficult to cure. That's when they brought in Jolyn Turner on vocals. Um, Richie Blackmore on bass. I'm excuse me, Richie Blackmore on guitar, Roger Glover on bass, Don Airy on keyboards, but they changed drummers. Now they brought in Bobby Rondinelli. Uh, and he was, very different from Cozy Powell. Um, Cozy Powell definitely being a better drummer, but Rondinelli being more of a, a, a double bass kind of drummer, if you want to look at it that way. <clears throat> and then finally, number one for me um, is the Straight Between the Eyes lineup, which included Jolyn Turner, Richie Blackmore, Roger Glover. They changed keyboardists. Don Airy was out and Dave Rosenthal was in, and they still had Bobby Rondinelli on drums. That, to me, is the classic rainbow lineup that is what i basically uh my love for rainbow grew from that from that lineup on so there we have it well that's a it's a good list but it's wrong um <laughs> says you uh no just kidding but um mine is a bit different but we do have some crossover uh, my number four is down to earth that's the grand bonnet album you mentioned um, like you said, there's some really good songs on there. Um, since you've been gone, I think was the first one that I heard with that lineup. And I really like that song. Um, all night long is really good as well. And I think Graham Bonnet has a, a great voice, uh, massively different than what I had first heard from them. Uh, but it was a very successful album. And over time, uh, this one really grew on me. Uh, my number three is the long live rock and roll era. And that would be Ronnie James Dio, uh, Richie Blackmore, um, Bob Daisley on bass, David Stone on keyboards and Cozy Powell on drums. Um, I really like this album. It's not my favorite, uh, but um, for me, like the first half of the album and then Kill the King, I think is really solid. Um, and that band, you know, they had a lot of strife, a lot of, you know, things going on. Obviously, Dio was on the way out, um, but it still has, I mean, anything with Cozy Powell. Cozy Powell is, is a great drummer. Bob Daisley, you know, if, if you're a fan of Ozzy Osbourne, the best stuff that Ozzy ever put out had Bob Daisley on it. Um, still a great lineup. Um but definitely not the best. And then my number two is the straight between the eyes lineup with Joe Lynn Turner on vocals. Uh, obviously Richie Blackmore on guitar, Roger Glover on bass, uh, Dave Ro Rosenthal on, uh, keyboards and Bobby Rondinelli on drums. Um, I had, I had always, like I started on the Dio era of the band and, um, then the, the, the next thing that I heard was, uh, I was watching, I want to say it was VH1 Classic, and the video for Death Alley Driver came on. And I was like, oh, wow, it's it's Rainbow. And then I heard Joe Lynn Turner sing, and I was like, that's 
not Ronnie James Dio. And it sparked my interest in, in, you know, finding out more of the band. And, um, I really like this album. I think it's very strong. It's probably one of their best of this era. And, you know, it's a, it's a completely different concept than the Dio era. Um, you know, being more mainstream, but Joe Lynn Turner is a great singer still to this day. Um, you know, even his solo albums, you know, he's, he's a very strong singer. And uh, I think he carried the band through this era and obviously was the most consistent singer they ever had. So, um, but my number one is the rising era. Um, rising is my absolute favorite uh, um, rainbow album. Um, that's with Ronnie James Dio on vocals, Richie Blackmore again on guitars, Jimmy Bain on bass. Um, keyboards uh was tony carey and uh cozy powell on drums um this to me is one of those uh you know front to back albums i can listen to just the entire thing and just absolutely and and lose myself in it in fact to the point that uh when i first started driving and i had a cd player and that was in the car not the one that that plugged into the um into the the cassette desk deck which i had on my very first car that lasted you know a few years um but um i was driving to my first like real job and i could not eject this this cd and it stayed in my my uh, cd player for like a year i could not get it to eject and then one day all of a sudden it did and i uh i pulled <laughs> pulled it out and that's probably why I really haven't listened to Rising much in the last 10 years or so because I heard it like 4 billion times. Um, but I still love the album. I still think it's it's absolutely amazing. And this era of the band is what got me into Rainbow. So um, definitely my my number one. Well, I like the list. It's, it's not right, though. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I mean, you can't go wrong picking any of these lines because all these albums are really really classic albums in general. Um, they all have something really, really good about them. So it's, it's one of those, it's subjective. That's what we're here for. <laughs> all right. Well, that's our big four rainbow lineups. And that brings an end to debating metal for tonight. Remember you can listen to us on any of your favorite podcast platforms. So click like and subscribe and join the debate. And don't forget to interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can send us an email to debating at gmail.com. If you listen to us on YouTube, be sure to leave us a comment and ring that bell to be notified when we post a new episode. And remember to tune in to our next episode as we spark up another exciting metal debate. On behalf of Kenneth and myself, stay safe and always turn it up to 11. See ya! 